You're listening to a sermon from Redemption Church, Calgary North. We exist to see lost people saved, saved people matured, and mature people multiplied, all to the glory of God. For more information, visit redemptioncalgarynorth.com. You can have a seat. I want to welcome uh, those joining us online this morning, and uh, I'm glad that you could be with us, and uh, if you are uh, checking out our church as to whether you might you want to join, we encourage you to come on out, and uh, again, just uh, as we're going to be learning this morning, uh, it's really important that we gather together uh, as the body of Christ, and so glad you're here uh, today. Last weekend was uh, a great time as we looked at uh, the garden, a theme, Lord, uh, as the Lord has been kind of leading us this year. We started in the Garden of Eden, and then last week we, we talked about both the Garden of Gethsemane and then that garden tomb, and in both locations, the Lord was victorious. Uh, Jesus gave, uh, overcame the flesh, his fleshly desires to, to not take the cup upon him, and instead said, not my will, but yours be done to the Father, and as a result of that, there's hope for you and I today. And then, of course, we've seen in the garden tomb as Christ is risen from the dead. Uh, as, uh, and and uh, in 2023, he still sits at the right hand of the Father. And one day soon, he's coming back. And uh, I pray that we're all uh, ready for that. We're all anticipating that. We're excited about the fact that Christ is returning soon. Well, we want to get back into our uh, series in Genesis uh, Abram is uh, kind of the main character that we'll be looking at uh, for the rest of really this uh, until the summer. And then we're going to take a break uh, from Genesis. We're going to look at the fruits of the Spirit this summer. And then we're going to get back into Genesis in September. So that's kind of the roadmap for us right now. And if you'll remember, Abram uh, wasn't doing great uh, the last time we seen him. At the end of chapter 12, we've seen that he had this plan. He was going to, there was a famine, there was a crisis, uh, and what we don't see him doing is praying, what we don't see him is seeking the Lord, what we do see him is making his own plan. And his plan was to uh, go down into Egypt, and if anybody's seen his wife, who he knew was uh, uh, especially good looking, apparently, okay, um, if anybody's seen her and wanted to marry her, then he said, hey, tell them that uh, you're my sister, and then that will give us the opportunity to, they'll come and ask me about it, and we can get out of town, okay? That's kind of their plan. Sarah goes along with it, uh, Sarai at this point still in the story, and, and so um, it doesn't go well. Why? Because Pharaoh is the one who takes notice of her, and uh, he doesn't have to ask anybody for permission. He just takes. And uh, he's really nice to Abram, gives him a bunch of stuff, which we're going to see that this week. And um, it looks like the plan is done. The God's plan, his promise to Abram that he would be a great nation, that he would be blessed, that he would inherit Canaan. Well, you kind of need a wife in order to have offspring, right? And so what's going to happen? Well, God steps in. He puts a plague on Pharaoh's house. They figure it out quickly that Sarah's the problem, find out that Abram's lied, she's lied, and he kicks them out of the country. That's where we ended off uh, last time. 
So what will Abram do now? I mean, he hasn't done great in Egypt. He failed in his faith. I mean, you know, does God even want him anymore? Is, is the promise still sure? These are some of the things maybe that were going through his mind. Maybe, maybe put yourself in Abram's shoes. Have you ever failed to do what you ought to do as a believer? Okay, now it's just a question of whether you can remember it. Was it yesterday or was it, right? But sometimes, sometimes it was, it's bigger, right? And it's been longer. And you were kind of walking in the wrong path. But you kind of come to this point where you're like, I, I got to change. And, and I'm praying this morning, we're, we're thinking about this as we think about this text. It's called The Way Back. And, and, and what I've entitled this sermon. How do we get back to the faith that we once had? How do we have renewed faith? This is what we want to be looking at this morning because I think Abram is, is exemplary in this regard. And so before we get going, I want us just to stop and say, take, take a, a moment to say, hey, where's my faith at this morning? If you're doing well, praise God. I pray that this is going to spurs you on. Like, okay, keep running. That's the thing. I got to keep going. Right direction with the Lord, trusting in him. That's the way we go. But maybe this morning you're just like, I'm, I'm not, I don't even know where I'm at. I'm not, I'm not in a great spot, if I'm being honest. I, I haven't even really thought about it for a long time, if I'm being honest. I, I used to be really excited about following the Lord, but not so much anymore. I kind of doing my own thing now. Well, this message is for you too. And so I want us just to, maybe you have no faith. And I pray by the time we're done, you have faith because of God's faith, uh, grace towards you. So let me pray for us and then we're going to get into it. God, we love you. We're so thankful for this time together in your scripture, in your word. Everything that we're going to read this morning is from you. God, we, we thank you that as we read these things this morning, we see a man who's exemplary, but we also see a God who is super gracious, super slow to anger, loving, faithful always. God, you are that God. You are the same God yesterday, today, and forevermore. And God, when we think about our own lives, our propensity to sin, to walk in rebellion against you, God, I pray that this word this morning would be refreshing to our souls, encouraging to our hearts, and that, Lord, by the time we leave here, we'd all leave with renewed faith, desiring, Lord, to bring you honor and glory through all that we would do in this week to come. So, God, use this preacher for your glory and for your honor, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so everyone needs a Bible. If you don't have a Bible, go ahead and slip up your hand. Uh, we want to look at God's word together. Uh, we, we want to... Uh, study the scriptures this morning. That's why we're gathering. We want to gather around God's word, not by some man's perspective on life. We, we want, we need, we desire to walk in faithfulness to him. That's, I, I pray that's why you're coming here this morning. God, I need to hear from you. I want you to direct my life. I want to walk in obedience to you. I want to be faithful. And I know that the way to do that is by walking according to your word. And, um, um, this God who works with Abram about 4,000 years ago, 4,400 years ago, is the same God who will work with us today. So there's lots that we can learn as we look to this man's life. Let's read together Genesis 13, verse 1. So 
Abram went up from Egypt, he and his wife, and all that he had and lot with him into the Negev. Now Abram was very rich in livestock, in silver and in gold. And he journeyed on from the Negev as far as Bethel to the place where his tent had been at the beginning, between Bethel and Ai, to the place where he had made an altar at the first. And there Abram called upon the name of the Lord. And Lot, who went with Abram, also had flocks and herds and tents, so that the land could not support both of them dwelling together, for their possessions were so great that they could not dwell together. And there was strife between the herdsmen of Abram's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. At that time, the Canaanites and the Perizzites were dwelling in the land. Then Abram said to Lot, let there be no strife between you and me and between your herdsmen and my herdsmen, for we are kinsmen. Is not the whole land before you? Separate yourself from me. If you take the left hand, then I will go to the right. Or if you take the right hand, then I will go to the left. And Lot lifted up his eyes and saw that the Jordan Valley was well watered everywhere like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt in the direction of Zor. And this was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot chose for himself all the Jordan Valley, and Lot journeyed east. Thus they separated from each other. Abram settled in the land of Canaan, while Lot settled among the cities of the valley and moved his tent as far as Sodom. Now the men of Sodom were wicked, great sinners against the Lord. And the Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward and southward and eastward and westward, for all the land that you see I will give to you and to your offspring forever. I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth, so that if one can count the dust of the earth, your offspring also can be counted. Arise, walk through the length and the breadth of the land, for I will give it to you. So Abram moved his tent and came and settled by the oaks of Mamre, which are at Hebron. And there he built an altar to the Lord. So as we look at the life of Abraham, we're gonna, or so Abram, we see that renewed faith requires that we return to your faithful God, that you need to return to your faithful God. We do that first by walk, walking the old paths, walk the old paths. We see after he's kicked out of Egypt that he starts to retrace his steps. He starts to go back to where he had been before when he, before he went down to Egypt. He first goes to, ne the, to the Negev, and we're told that his nephew Lot is with him. And this is being told to us so that we can get ready for the conflict to come. Abram leaves Egypt with all that he has. He says that he's a rich man. Actually, he doesn't say that, does it? It says that he's a very rich man, right? You know, we've seen in chapter 12 that he had been given all these livestock, okay? Uh, all kinds of different kinds of livestock. And we see that he also has silver and gold. Now, there's no mention of Pharaoh giving him silver and gold, but he may have. Uh, we're going to see in chapter 20 a similar situation where Abimelech gives him silver and gold. So he may have got it from him, from Pharaoh as well, 
or he's just acquired it somewhere else as God is blessing Abram, right? That was his promise that he would bless him. And now he has all this stuff, right? He's left Egypt a very rich man. Now, again, think of the original audience of receiving the book of Genesis, the people of Israel. They were slaves in Israel for 400 years, right? They were there in the land of Egypt for 400 years. And when they left, what? The Egyptians gave them all their riches, right? As they left the land of Egypt. And so they're seeing similarities. They're seeing that their father, Abram, had walked a similar path. They were not deserving of all the riches that they were receiving. In fact, we see that they were so not deserving that the, that generation didn't actually get to go to the promised land, okay? But that was their story. And, and now it says that he went on from the Negev. He, he goes back to a place where there had been better days before his mishap, his sin, let's put it that way, in Egypt. Verse 3, and he journeyed on from the Negev as far as Bethel to the place where his tent had been at the beginning, between Bethel and Ai. He's just retracing his steps, step by step, to get back to where he was. Hughes puts it like this, his journey from Egypt to the Negev to Bethel was apparently a conscious uh, pilgrimage through which he desired to recapture his previous walk with God because he ultimately returned to the altar where he first called on the name of the Lord. Spiritually, he was not doing well in Egypt. He had not been calling upon the Lord. Now, as he turns back, he's just retracing his steps, step by step. There had been no altars in Egypt. There had been no talk about him seeking the Lord in Egypt. And now we see him going back to the things that he once did. He goes back to the place where he had called on the name of the Lord. This is what repentance does. When you have fallen short of the glory of God, when you have sinned and done what you ought not to and you have been walking this direction, it requires that you repent and return and go in a different direction. If you are a believer, you return to do the things you once did. And this is what Abram's doing. He's going back. He's retracing his steps. For you as a believer, that would mean getting back into studying the Scriptures. If you're not doing well in the Lord, then pick up the Bible again. And not just read it as some kind of religious textbook, but read it as such that as you did when you first came to faith. Like, who is this God? I want to know more about him. What, what does he have for me? What has he done? I, I want to worship this God. This is how you should read the Bible each, each and every day. There should be this pattern in your life. The same thirst and hunger you had to know him before, you should have now. And so as you turn back in your faith, do these things. Before he's calling on the name of the Lord, that may be this, that can't been the case for you. When you first came to faith, you're like, okay, Lord, like, your kingdom come. Like, what do you want me to do today? You're like, you're pretty fresh. You didn't know what to, you're supposed to do, but you're, you, were, you were seeking him. And you're praying, and Lord, help me to be a witness. Lord, help me to do these things. And, and again, if you've been dead in your faith, then return to those things. Be a man or a woman of prayer and seek him. Use the gifts that God's given you to serve others. 
There's this, this weird pattern that Christians can have. You know, they get, they get saved and they're like on fire for the Lord and they're, they're serving probably too many places in the church, right? They got like 17 different things they're doing and you're like, I just want more and more of Jesus, right? And, and then there's like, boom, done. Like, cut that off. I got, I got other things to do now. And I served, I did my time. It's like, it's like some kind of like Mormon missionary thing. You do two years and you're like, I'm out, right? What happens when you serve? You grow in the Lord, right? So why would you stop doing that? So get back to using the gifts that God's given you to serve the Lord. These are the things. If your faith has been growing cold, if you've been walking in the wrong direction, turn back and do these things. Retrace the old paths that you once, of the things that you once did. And then part of that, too, is, is getting other believers around you, talking about the things of the Lord when you would get together, whether that be just getting together to watch the Oilers win another Stanley Cup this year or... Okay, sorry, that was a distraction. <laughs> but, but if all you did was get, is, as believers to get together and talk about hockey, that's just not... It's a waste of time, right? Get together, watch the game, but then encourage one another. What are you learning about the things of the Lord? What, what, how, are, how is he challenging you? How can you spur one another on? This is what you did when you first came to faith, when you were growing in the Lord. These are the things that you should get back to. Retrace the old paths. And, and so we see Abram turning away from Egypt, walking back, and now he gets to the place where he called upon the name of the Lord. And returning to the Lord... Returning to your faithful God, part of that also will be, secondly, worshiping the old way. Worship the old way. To the place where he had made an altar, it says, verse 4, at the first. And there Abram called upon the name of the Lord. This calling upon the name of the Lord. He would have done the same uh, uh, worship as Noah had done. He, would, he had called upon the name of the Lord, which is what Seth had done. This is what we mean by worshiping the old way. Going back to worship God in the way that he has proclaimed to be worshipped. In the sacrifice that he would have made at the altar, he, he, would, have, he would have been a burnt offering. It would, have, it would have indicated, Lord, my life is yours. I'm all yours, Lord. Matthew says here about the altar, the fact that the old altar remains suggests the permanency of the promises. The patriarch's newfound wealth did not distract him from his worship of the Lord. See, the truly repentant person loves the Lord. He loves the Lord. She loves the Lord more than anything else. This is what the repentant person, they're, they're, they're picking up the Bible to read. They're praying. They're getting people around them all out of their love for the Lord. That's why they're doing it. Because they want more of Christ. When it comes to obedience, there is no excuses. Well, I would obey, but. If you truly love the Lord, you're like, okay, Lord, this is hard, but I'm going to do it because I love you. Instead of, well, I would, but. I would, but. No, this is, this is wholehearted worship. This is what the repentant person does. When it comes to worshiping, our gathering as a church is, is a grace of God. Do we understand that? That, that? that this kind of gathering is such a, 
a, a necessity for you and I in our growth, in our love for the Lord. When we come into a place like this, we're reminded, I'm not alone. Do you ever feel alone during the week when it comes to your faith? I know that some folks, they're single faith families, right? They're the only one in their family who follows the Lord. When you come to a place like this, you're reminded, I'm not alone. There are other people who believe, who are or brothers and sisters in Christ. They spur me on, they encourage me, they strengthen me as we come into this place. And then as we sing, we sing the truths of who God is over one another. And we're reminded that all those problems that we've had in the week before, previous, like they all pale in comparison to how great he is. And then we study the word of God together. And we, we say as a people, God, help us to be faithful to the things you're teaching us. And so let us be worshipers. And the worshiper, the worship that we do here should then reflect in our week to come. This is what we're going to see in Mo, Mo, with Abram here. He's going to worship at the altar, but guess what? Then after that, he's living a different life. And so it should be for you and I. The worship that we do here should fuel the worship for the rest of the week as we say, Lord, your will be done in our lives. Abram now is living that life of faith that he did before he went to, went to Egypt. After making those poor decisions, he turns back to do the things which he did before. Can I just encourage you to do the same thing? If you're not doing well in the Lord, today, today is the day. Repent of those things and begin to follow him like you once did. Renewed faith also requires that you wage the old wars. We see this in verses 5 to 7. It's been said many times you're either in a trial, you're about to go into a trial, or you're just coming out of a trial. That's life, right? It doesn't matter whether you're a person of faith or not. The difference is with you're a person of faith is that you have the Lord with you and you can turn to him in your trial. And this is what we're gonna see Abram do in this particular case. In his previous crises with the famine, he went down to Egypt, he'd done his own thing, didn't turn out too well. But now we're going to see him turn to the Lord. And he's going to wage the old war. What I mean by this is he's going to have conflict with his family. Like this is only as old as sin itself, right? As soon as sin comes into the world... Adam's throwing Eve under the bus, right? Blaming God for giving Eve to him in the first place, right? Relationships get fractured as a result of sin. They get kicked out of the garden. Cain's killing Abel, right? We all have relational conflict in our lives. It's just the way it is. And some days, some weeks, some months are great, but relational conflict comes, and we see this is going to happen here with Abram and Lot. Why do we have conflict? Where does that come from? Well, James chapter 4 tells us this. James chapter 4, verse 1 to 3. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. 
You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. And you at, when you ask, you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. Where does quarrels and, pa- uh, where quarrels and strife come from? From selfishness is the way we could put it. I want what I want. And so I want it. So I don't care who I need to hurt to get it. I'm going to get it, right? Now, you think about the ch- ch- children, right? They, there's some toy that is the favorite toy for whatever reason. And, 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 and that thing may have been hidden in a toy box for three months, but somebody discovers it, and then not just one person wants it, they both want it, and they both want it now, right? Has that ever happened in your home? Right? And what happens? I, I'm going to get it. And I don't care who I have to hurt to get it. So not uncommon for it to turn to violence, right, with children, right? And they push one another, they hit one another or whatever, and, and then run off with the toy, right? The conflict is on. And as a parent, you're just like, are you kidding me? What's, so big, what's the big deal about this toy, Right? Like, why, why are you fighting about this? It's foolishness, right? You play with it first, then let them play with it. Or even better, listen, start teaching your children, why don't you have a heart like this? You know what? You want it? You can have it. You can have it. You have it. And if, if I want to play with it later, when you're not playing with it, maybe I'll play with it later. But you have it. Uh, my, you're, you're more important than me. That's what the Bible says. Okay, moms and dads, do, 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 do we have quarrels and strife? Do you think that maybe God looks at your arguments, your quarrels, the things you're fighting over, and kind of looks at you like you look at your kids with a toy and kind of like, are you kidding me? <laughs> like married couples, like how often are the fights about important things? Usually ridiculous stuff, right? But... You are right, and so you really do need to make sure that they understand your rights and come to your point of view, right? So important. It's all selfishness. It's all self-focus. That's where all this stuff's coming from. So, will we respond in a good way or in a wrong way? That's the question when conflict raises its head. Now, the conflict here, it's a real, it's a real problem. They got too much stuff. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? They got, they've been with, they got way too many animals in order for them to be fed. And so they're, they're kind of coming, like it's not their land, right? Notice it's the Canaanites, Perizzites, like it's their land. And so they're kind of weaving their way through this land and they can, they, can, they can find a little spot over here and then they can find some stuff over here and there's, a, there's some possibilities, some, some water here. But the problem is they have way too many animals for this to work. And so Lot's guys and Abram's guys who are looking after the animals, they're at strife, right? And they're fighting with one another over this and it's not working. It was a real problem, Right? It wasn't just something made up like a toy or whatever. This is a real problem. Now, how will they make up for this? 
or, or how, sorry, how will they get over this, this conflict? Well, this is where we see Abram's faith come to life. Uh, renewed faith requires, secondly, that we resist your foolish pride. That uh, Renewed faith requires that you resist your foolish greed. Sorry. Resist your foolish greed. In this conflict between Abram and Lot, we see two roads to be taken. Abram makes an offer that is other-centered and loving, combined with faith. Lot will make a decision that is self-centered and greedy with only thoughts for the temporary. This is what we're going to see as we break down these verses from 8 to 13. Verse 8, Then Abram said to Lot, Let there be no strife between you and me and between your herdsmen and my herdsmen, for we are kinsmen. Listen, we're family. We're family. We, we can't be fighting like this. We can't have your, your, your herdsmen fighting with my herdsmen in this way. we we got to stop this. Now, this word uh, for strife here, it, it is meribah. Now, again, original audience receiving this, they're going to know all about this word meribah, right? This is, you go back to Exodus 17, the Israelites, they're quarreling with Moses because there was no water to drink. And, and so they're saying, look, what did you do? Like, what, this is great. So you bring us out of Egypt so that we could die of thirst. This is their complaint. This is their grumbling. And Moses is like, what? Are you talking to me? Like, you think I can come up with water? You're grumbling against God. And, and he says to them that, that, that they, they, they're testing the Lord. They don't really care. And the Lord, again, because he's gracious, he gives them water. He gives them water. But that place then forever is called Meribah, a place of grumbling, a place of strife. And you look to Psalm 95, verses 8 to 10. Again, I just encourage you to write these things down for yourself and look at them later. But Psalm 95, 8 to 10, this, this, this strife there, it says in verse 8 that the Lord loathed these people for 40 years because they were a people who had gone astray in their heart and they have not known the ways of the Lord. They didn't trust the Lord. That was the bottom line. That's why they wandered around for 40 years in the wilderness before that generation had passed and then God was able to take the new generation into the promised land. So they hear this word Meribah and they, and they automatically have a, an idea behind this word. The commentator Sarnas says this, it suggests that the term's appearance here implies Lot's base ingratitude. In other words, Lot is as much a part of the problem as the herdsman. And after Abram says there should be no strife between them, he makes a proposal, verse 9. Is not the whole land before you? Separate yourself from me. If you take the left hand, then I will go to the right. Or if you take the right hand, then I'll go to the left. I mean, Abram's in the position of power here. Let's, let's understand this, right? He's the elder. He, he's, he's uncle. In every sense of the word, he should be the one who decides what should happen at this point. But he doesn't. He has more wealth. He's been given the promise of the land. It's to Abram. It's not to Lot. It's to Abram that the promise of the land's been for. But he says, he says to him, and he could have just said, hey, Lot, 
like, take a hike, okay? You're growing up now. You got your own stuff. See you later. God's called me here. Adios, right? But he doesn't do that. He's acting in humility here. And so he tells his nephew, just go ahead. Choose whatever you like. And you go, you want to go this way? I'll go this way, right? Or vice versa. You think this is better? Then I'll go over here. Whatever you think. This offer is one of faith. He knows the promises of God that he and his descendants will receive the land of Canaan. He doesn't need to cling to it, right? He doesn't have to, okay, I got to, oh man, Lot's coming after me now. I got I to kind of, you know, get rid of him and, and cling to the thing. No, he's just, he's just being a person who, who is being a peacemaker. And he wants there to be peace more than he wants there to be prosperity. He, he understands that, that, that the right thing to do here is just say, hey, you, you choose what you think is best. He's deferring to him. Now, clearly, there's going to be some land that's better than other, right? But he doesn't care. He doesn't care because he knows the Lord is over all of this. He's a great example about how you and I should handle strife. It reminds us of what Paul says in his letter to the church in Corinth in 1 Corinthians 6, 7. To have lawsuits at all with one another is already a defeat for you. Why not rather suffer wrong? Why not rather be defrauded? And everyone's shoulders go up like this, right? As soon as you say that. Why not rather be wrong? No, I'm not. What? That's not okay. What if it's unjust? Yeah, probably is. Why not rather suffer? Why not rather be defrauded? Is this your home? Are you living for this world? Why are you clinging to stuff? Somebody sues you, what does Jesus say? Give them some more. They want, they want your, I'm trying to remember the Matthew 5, the 39 and 40, right? They want your, your cloak, give them your tunic as well, right? Go, go above and beyond. Don't cling to the things of this world. And so he, this is what Abram's doing. Do you not think that the Lord is watching? Are you not his kid? Don't you think you can trust him? Do you have to manipulate the situation? Do you think that things, the temporary things of this world are worth fighting over? They're not. So Abram makes a generous offer to Lot. What will Lot do at this point? Well, we read in verse 10. And Lot lifted up his eyes and saw that the Jordan Valley was well watered everywhere like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt in the direction of Zoar. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot chose for himself all the Jordan Valley and Lot journeyed east. Thus they separated from each other. Lot's heart is being revealed in the decisions he makes. He's putting himself first, right? Again, on every level, he should be deferring to Abram. He should have said to that offer, are you kidding me, Abram? Are you kidding me? No, no, you, you decide what's best. I, I've, been, I've been riding your coattails for a long, long time now. So if you think that I should go over here, I'll go over there. You, Abram, you tell me. Obviously, we can't be in the same spot, so I'm going to trust that you know what's best 
We're following after your, your God. I want to be a part of the promises too. This is why I came in the first place. So I'll just come with you. Is that what he's doing here? He doesn't do any of that, right? He looks with his eyes. Oh, wow. Look at that. That's a real nice area of land right over there. This idea of the garden of the Lord or like Egypt. In other words, there's lots of rivers, tributaries, kind of overflowing the banks. And, and, and you don't have to wait on the rain continually. That was what this land was like. And oh, I, by the way, it was like this before the destruction of Sodom. You talk about climate change, okay? Forever in that particular area. It was changed by what God does in Genesis 19, but we'll get there eventually. Right? And so this is very, very fertile face, place. He's choosing it. it. There's this foreshadowing. This was before it was destroyed. This is going to be a very temporary decision. He's clinging to the things of this earth. He's not making a spiritual decision here. He's making a very physical decision. Note again, he's moving east. As we've been studying, some of you are here for the first time, but each time east is being mentioned, from Genesis 3 up till now, it's always moving away from the presence of the Lord. And I think that's what's being symbolized here again. He's giving up on the land promise. He's going outside of Canaan. He's, he's going to take his own land. He's going to do his own thing. And we read in verse 12, Abram settled in the land of Canaan while Lot settled among the cities of the valley and moved his tent as far as Sodom. Now the men of Sodom were wicked, great sinners against the Lord. Once again, keep in mind the condition of the world at this point. Remember up to Genesis 11? It's not looking good for planet Earth. Once again, God scatters all wicked humanity around the Earth, but then he chose this moon worshiper, Abram, out of that. And that's why there's this one family that's going around and is being a witness for him. But the rest of the world's not doing well. And Sodom, Sodom is particularly bad. And it says that they were great sinners against the Lord. This is where he chooses to settle down. Lot. He's spiritually blind because he loves what he can get out of, the, out of the place. He's willing to put himself in a spiritual compromising position so that he can get the money, so that he can get the wealth, so he can be in this, this place of plenty. Again, we should examine our own hearts here. Pretty easy to be like Lot if we're being honest, and then even rationalize why it was okay, right? If you went to Lot and said, hey, what are you living in Sodom for? Well, Abram said, I could go wherever I wanted. And, uh, you know, look at, look at, look at look, everything. Just, you just throw a seed in the ground and it grows. It's amazing. Like, why wouldn't I be here? Well, do you not see the people you're around continually? You think that might be having an impact on your soul, on the souls of everybody with you? Like, you think this is a great spot? But he would, he again, made excuses for why it was okay. We can be so fixated on the things of this earth that we become spiritually blind. And some of us may be in that spot this morning. You, you, you're like, 
When you, when you asked me earlier, Pastor, about my faith, I don't know. I haven't thought about it forever. Like I'm, I'm too, I gotta, I'm gonna, I'm gonna retire at 55. I gotta keep the foot on the pedal. You know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna I, I mean, at that point afterwards, maybe, you know, I'm gonna do some great things for the Lord, you know? But right now, I just gotta do my thing. And that, what that does is it makes you spiritually blind. And you're focusing on the temporary. And so I wanna just encourage you, don't be like Lot. Be like Abram. I mean, Abram's changed a lot since Egypt, hasn't he? Right? He's like, right, whatever you want, man. I'm trusting the promises of the Lord. Right? So if you want to go that way, you go that way. God's going to take care of it. He's going to take care of it. Hugh says this, when we truly believe the promises that are ours in Christ, when we truly understand and believe that we are seated right now in him in the heavenly places, when we understand that all things are ours in Christ, we will cease our grasping. Where's your citizenship this morning, Redemption? Is it in heaven? Are you just an ambassador for him on this earth? God may choose to give you riches. That's what he did to Abram, but Abram's not clinging to the riches. Do you see that he's not, he's not fixated on the riches? He doesn't care about the riches. He cares about the promises of God. And so following God doesn't guarantee poverty, okay? Nor does it guarantee riches. Whatever God gives you, though, keep your eyes on things eternal so that you might be fully used of him. You see the heart that Abram has here? It's a generous heart. Do you think that God requires something different from you and I? He requires that we would have a generous heart, that we would not cling to the things that we have or to the, to the, the plans of this earth, but to cling to him. Lastly, we see that renewed faith requires that you remember, remember your future guarantee. Remember your future guarantee. This is what I'm trying to get at. Don't, don't be living for the things of this earth. After Abram had acted in faith, then the Lord speaks to Abram after Lot had left. Verse 14, the Lord said to Abram after Lot had separated from him, lift up your eyes. And look from the place where you are, northward and southward and eastward and westward, for all the land that you see, I will give to you and to your offspring forever. I love how he's like, he just kind of does exactly the same thing that Abram had told Lot to do. And, and he's like, Abram, just look around. Like, do a 360, right? And he's up on a high spot here. Just, just look around you. It's all yours. It'll be yours and your offspring forever. This is my promise to you, Abram. It's interesting that the Lord did the same thing with Moses in Deuteronomy 34. Deuteronomy 34, verses 1 through 4, you can look at that later. But he puts him up because he's, he's sinned against God and says, so you're not, you're not getting into the promised land. But I'll let you look at it. Right? So he gives him up on the mountain. He shows him this spot where he can see all the land. So it's interesting, both Abram and Moses are told about the promised land, but they don't get to go in. So what was their, what was their hope in? Where they're like, well, at least my kids get to do it. You know, my grandkids, you know, at least they'll have the land, you know, woe is me. Was that, no, it's really interesting that tells us in Hebrews that they weren't just thinking about that land. 
They were thinking about an eternal land. Let me read it for you. Hebrews 11, 9. By faith, he, Abram, went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. It wasn't just about the plot of land in Canaan for him. He was looking beyond that. In verse 16, we read this, But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. And this is true of you and I as well. God is preparing a place for you. You have an eternal inheritance. 1 Peter 1.4, right? You have an inheritance kept in heaven for you that is imperishable. It is undefiled and unfading. This is our story as believers. So economy goes down. Well, it's hard. I'll have to do, you know, might have to do whatever to get through or not. And then we get to go to heaven, right? Like that's the worst case scenario for a believer, right? Like is that, does that bring joy to your heart? Like, oh no, I really hope the economy gets better. Not worse. Like, shh, better. But we don't have to worry about it. We don't have to worry about it because the Lord's watching over us and we have something that will be eternal. And so Abram, he wandered, he had all this stuff. But he had to wander throughout his life. And so too do you and I. Lord also assured Abram that he would have descendants, not just a few. Verse 16, I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth, so that if one can count the dust of the earth, your offspring also can be counted. Can you count the dust of the earth? Later on, he talks about the sand of the seashore, right? If you can count the sand, that's how many descendants you have. Later, then, again, stars. If you can count the stars, that's how many descendants. I think he wants them to know you're going to have a lot of descendants. You're going to have a lot of offspring. It's pretty fascinating how many times, so we're going to go through these chapters, how many times God reminds him of his promises over and over and over again. Does he not? Hey, you're going to get some land, you're going to have lots of kids. Hey, just a reminder, you're going to have some land, and you're going to have lots of kids. Hey, maybe you forgot about it. You're going to have land, and you're going to have lots of kids. Like, do you see the pattern here? Chapter 12, he's mentioning it. This chapter, mentioning it again. Chapter 15, the covenant is formalized. He's going to continue to tell him. And Abram believes. He believes And so he says in verse 17, Arise, walk through the length and breadth of the length of the land, for I will give it to you. Now what's fascinating about this is that even the kings of that day, the pharaohs of that day, when they would take power, they would walk the fringe of their land in order to say, this is my land and I will have power over it. And so what Abram's being told to do is walk through the land and remember that it's his land. It's not unlike Jericho, right? When, when Joshua had the high priest, they walked around the city seven times. It was like, this is ours. This is ours. And on the seventh day, the, the walls went down and it was theirs. And so in faith, he walks through the land. And then we see in verse 18, 
So Abram moved his tent and came and settled by the oaks of Mamre, which are at Hebron. And there he built an altar to the Lord, worshiping again. This is his life's pattern. How am I going to get the land? I don't know. I still don't got any kids. How am I going to have offspring like the dust? I don't know. But God does, and I trust him. That's his, that's his faith. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> How is this all supposed to work? I don't need to know. He knows. I just need to trust him. I just need to walk in his ways. And so this is what he does. He worships the Lord. Quite the difference from Egypt, huh? A man walking in faith, trusting the Lord, worshiping him, not clinging to the things of this earth, but freely giving them away. Lot, on the other hand, not so much. The choices that Lot makes only result in pain for the rest of his life. Guess what? Next chapter, Abram's got to save his life. Chapter 19, Abram's got to save his life. Like, his choice does not turn out well. And I would think that Lot is a pagan, but the problem is, Peter tells us he wasn't. He was righteous. But what a wasted life of faith, right? What will you choose? A life where God can use you to bless others, to, to spread his word, to be a witness to those others, or to be like Lot, where you're continually on the run, where, you're, where you're, your faith is weak. I, I want to be Abram, don't you? Let, let us have that heart to have our eyes fully fixed upon him in things eternal rather than things temporary. May the Lord help us. May the Lord grant us that kind of faith that he might be brought glory and honor. Let me pray. Lord God, we thank you for this time together this morning. We thank you for the example of Abram here. Lord, help us to believe your promises. Lord, help us to believe your word. And God, this morning, for those who are lacking faith, those who are having a difficult time, God, would you, would you help them to repent this morning? Would you help them to return to the former things? Or would you renew their faith? Lord, that they might bring glory and honor to your name. Lord, you are good. You're so faithful. Lord, we see your patience here with Abram, how you were quick to forgive and renew his faith. God, we know that no matter what anyone's done here, Lord, that if they would repent and turn to you, Lord, you would forgive. Doesn't matter how great the sin, God, you are a God who forgives. And so, God, would you grant faith? Would you help them to be reconciled to you? Lord, lead us now as we enter into the Lord's Supper, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this sermon from Redemption Church, Calgary North. For more information about our church, visit redemptioncalgarynorth.com.